invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, and I want to read the verses 21 through to the end of verse 35. Matthew 18, beginning to read at verse 21 through to the end of the chapter. superscription over it says the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew chapter 18 beginning to read verse 21. This is the word of God. <clears throat> then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Thus far would you then also turn with me in the back of your Psalter hymnal to Lord's Day 51. I find that on page 895, question and answer 126. Lord's Day 51 question and answer 126 and once again I remind you that this is your confession of faith as it is mine. Lord's Day 51 question and answer 126 and here the question is asked what does the fifth petition that's the fifth petition then of the Lord's Prayer what does the fifth petition mean? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors means because of Christ's blood do not impute to us poor sinners that we are any of the transgressions we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbors. Thus far the reading of God's holy word and the summary of that word as we found it in the creeds and confessions of the church. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ gathered with me here in, in Salem this evening. This evening, the Catechism wants us to consider the doctrine of forgiveness of sin. And, and what strikes us, first of all, is the connection, if you will, the connection between the forgiveness of sin and our prayer for daily bread. 
Notice with me that the petition reads, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And so what we're taught in this is that we may not stop at seeking food for our bodies, but we are to go on seeking also the things necessary for our eternal immortal soul, which of course includes seeking forgiveness of sin. In other words, Jesus is teaching us here that we are to seek both food for body and uh, for, seek both food for bodily sustenance and food for the nurturing of our souls. And, and in seeking this spiritual benefit, we are asking for two things. We are asking forgiveness of sin, or if you will, justification, and secondly, recreation, a restoration of God's image in ourselves, or if you will, sanctification. So justification and sanctification. And I'm sure those two doctrines are familiar to you, but since these two attributes are critical to our understanding of this Lord's Day, I want to take just a moment to explain them one more time briefly. Justification, or if you will, to be justified, means to be right with God because sin has been removed and forgiven. Someone who has been reconciled to God has been justified through faith in Christ. Sanctification, on the other hand, it is a lifelong process of growing in faith and in grace through holy living as an expression of thankfulness for that justification. The two doctrines are inextricably connected and related. They can't really be separated. Uh, but they can, they, are, they can be clearly distinguished from, from each other. Where one is found, the other is also present. When a person has experienced justification, he will out of necessity also demonstrate sanctification. <coughs> These things are necessary for us to fix in our minds as we now together consider the fifth petition of our Lord's Prayer. It is necessary for us to understand that forgiveness of our sins or justification is a necessary prerequisite or a corollary to sanctification. Because our sins are forgiven, therefore we also forgive others. We want to consider this evening the scriptures teaching on the forgiveness of sins as that is summarized in the catechism. We want to consider, first of all, the content or the meaning of the fifth petition. We then want to examine our necessary posture in making the petition. And then finally, we want to ponder together our necessary appropriation of the petition. So, the content or the meaning of the petition, our necessary posture in relation to making that petition, and finally, our necessary appropriation or application to ourselves of the petition. The petition reads, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we notice immediately a significant difference between this petition and the four previous petitions. In the previous petitions, we hear only four short pleas. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. But now we hear, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The prayer recorded for forgiveness as recorded in Matthew seeks forgiveness of our debts. Luke records it as seeking forgiveness of our sin. And these two words, sin and debt, can be used interchangeably in this context. 
Correctly speaking, our sin is our debt before God. And again, properly understood, it is not our sin, but our debt that is the true object of forgiveness. Bear with me for a moment, for we need to understand two distinct elements when we consider the meaning of sin. We know, first of all, of our corruption, which renders us incapable of doing any good and, and which inclines us to all evil. And secondly, as the Catechism says, this corruption is ours unless and until we are born again. In other words, then, here we are speaking of our original or inherited sin. However, when we carefully read the summary of our catechism, that's not the sin which is here under consideration. The pollution of our sin, in other words, the effects of the fall into sin, which still cleave to us and which will remain with us in this life, is not what is being discussed. When we here see God's forgiveness from sin, what meant what is meant is forgive us the debt of our sin both inherited and actual sin forgive us the debt of our sin both our inherited and our actual sin you see already from the time of our birth we stood before god guilty burdened with sin inherited from our first parents adam and eve the last time you witnessed an infant being baptized in this congregation, you will remember as the parents stood around the font, they were asked by the minister, they were asked, do you, brother and sister, as parents, do you believe that this child, only seven or eight or ten days old, do you believe that this child is conceived and born in sin, worthy of all manner of misery, yea, to condemnation itself? In other, words, in other words, do you believe, parents, that as consequence of the tragic fall in paradise, your little child already stands condemned? And we answered, yes, I do so believe. And so we come into this world, as we come into this world, we come already burdened with the guilt of sin, and then, in our own life, we daily increase our guilt or our debt in the actual sins that we commit ourselves. And now we need to distinguish that here we're not asking God to make us sinless. We're not asking God to make us capable of, re of refraining from sin and achieving perfection. No, here we're asking God to remove the guilt of our sin. Our Father who art in heaven, forgive us our debts. But what now is the content of that petition? Exactly what is being asked of God here? Well, here in this petition, the child of God pleads with his heavenly Father. Rather, he pleads with God. Yes, indeed, but he pleads with God as lawgiver. He pleads with God as judge to declare this helpless sinner on the basis of the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ to be free from the penalty rightly deserved for his sin, his personal sin and his corporate sin as part of a fallen humanity. When God grants that kind of forgiveness, then God declares 
that for time and eternity he will see the forgiven sinner through the blood of Jesus Christ and he will in fact see no sin in him. That's justification. Ah, understand that benefit with me. The psalmist jubilantly cries out, Blessed is he whose sins have been forgiven, whose sins are wholly covered before the face of God. Blessed is he with whom God does not deal in accordance with the measure of our sin, that our sins deserve. But a sinner, but a sinner who cries for forgiveness also follows that plea with a solemn declaration. Listen with me. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And now we need to interpret carefully for the relationship between the request for forgiveness and the promise to forgive others has been interpreted differently and even wrongly by different scholars of different traditions. How are we to understand this plea in relation to the declaration? Are we to understand now that the Father's forgiveness toward us is contingent upon us forgiving others? That cannot be, can it? Does the scripture teach us then to plead on the basis of our own righteousness, our own works, or our own deserving? No. Our pleas to God point us to the righteousness of Christ in him and in his work. We claim our righteousness. To suggest then that God's love is contingent upon our response would mean that we can earn our salvation and that then makes the blood of Christ to have been unnecessary. It cannot mean then that God will forgive us on the basis of our forgiving of others. Is it then here being suggested that the petition asks that God will forgive us our debts to the same extent or the same measure or degree with which we forgive others. That too would be tragic for us. We need only to think of our own difficulties in our forgiveness of one another. Forgiveness does not come easily for us. And given our fallen hearts, forgiving one another is nigh unto impossible on occasion. No, in answer to the question, what is meant by, as we also forgive our debtors, I can find no better words to define it more clearly than the words used by our catechism. Our Father, who art in heaven, forgive us our debts as we forgive our, our debtors, or if you will, our Father, who art in heaven, forgive us, just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. People have got how great is the conflict between our human nature and what is here promised and pledged by the child of God. When we are offended by a brother or a sister, our human nature immediately rears its ugly head. And then the slogan of the world is, don't get angry, get even. And often, that is precisely what we frequently do. But according to our Bible, and as we confess here, that may not be so among us. 
The heart of the child of God is to demonstrate a radically different spirit. By the grace of God, the child that has been born again by the Spirit of God, because of the Spirit of God that now dwells in him, that child of God is consciously aware of God's great forgiven grace for him. And as consequence of God's great forgiving grace, that child of God is now determined to demonstrate that same Christ-like spirit to his neighbor. My dear people, try to capture this with me. The concept I believe to be urgent and important. When we confess our own desire to forgive others, we thereby confess God's own work in our heart. It's a confession of our own faith in Christ. The born-again child of God says, O Father, in thy grace thou hast recreated me into thine own image. And as consequence of that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, I now find, as evidence of that renewal, I find within my own born-again heart the desire, the determination to forgive my neighbor just as thou hast forgiven me. But having received God's forgiveness, having been justified and reconciled to God, having received the Holy Spirit of God, we are now also driven to a particular attitude or posture as consequence of that new birth. Again, we follow the leading of the catechism. The answer reads, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It means because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us poor sinners that we are any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Clear and telling answer, an answer full of meaning and full of great comfort. According to this answer, all of the sins of the Christian, hear me well, all of the sins of the Christian will be forgiven. Know well with me here, all of the sins, not only the sins of the past, the sins of our youth, not only the sins of today, the sins of the present but also all of the sins that we will yet commit in the future. People got it boggles the mind when you stop to consider that. We can imagine sins of the past being forgiven when we confess them and ask for, to be forgiven. That makes sense. We can even understand that our sins of today will be forgiven if we seek that forgiveness. But this confession encompasses the thought that even all of the sins that the child of God will still commit in the future have already been forgiven. See with me once again here why the Christian confesses that he has eternal life already now. All of his sins past, present, and future, already forgiven in the blood of Christ. And consequently, heaven's gates are wide open, waiting to receive him already now. But we need to walk carefully here. We need to carefully interpret, because tragically, this confession has caused some sincere people to conclude that it is then no longer necessary to plead for forgiveness. After all, if all sins have already been forgiven, then to still seek forgiveness 
is moot. It's, it's redundant. The presupposition on the surface has some merit. After all, forgiveness of sin is the chief essence or the very heart of the gospel. And when we fail to embrace the gospel promise of reconciliation through forgiveness of sin, then the very heart has been cut out of the gospel and we rob ourselves of our only comfort in life and in death. People of God, if, if, if only we as God's children would be more consciously aware of what is being confessed here. If only we would remember and believe in God's gospel promise of forgiveness. How tragic that so many dear children of God are still not convinced of a complete redemption and they still struggle with doubts about forgiveness of sin. I will share with you, I work from a, with a man weekly, every Monday morning in a nursing home. I work with a man born and raised in a so-called reformed tradition who has no assurance of salvation. And each week again, I point him to the scriptures and I, I try to help him to understand that his sins, if he confesses his sins and knows the Lord, that all of his sins are forgiven and heaven is waiting to receive him. And his answer constantly is yes. That is what the Bible says. But we were not raised that way. Hard. And yet, a word of caution here. We need to guard against two extremes in this context. On the one hand, there are certain strains of thought that would have us know that because of Christ, sin is now behind us. Some very sincere people are sincerely wrong, and they argue that the prayer for forgiveness was taught to those prior to the outpouring of the Spirit and is unnecessary and irrelevant for us today. On the other hand, we have also those among us who lack the courage and the conviction to appropriate for themselves God's promise. And that's the kind of man that I'm working with in God's... And, and consequently, these people are unable to get beyond the burden of their sin. And that load of guilt is carried by them all of their lives. The great joy in the Lord escapes them. And all of their lives, all of their lives, they, care, they are burdened with their sin. And, and, and both of these errors is to, is to seriously misunderstand or to misinterpret the great grace of God. We need to understand this. If our faith was perfect, then there would be no more pleas for forgiveness. Then there would only be praise and thanksgiving. But, but who of us has a faith that has reached the fullness of perfection. Remember with me the teaching of a previous Lord's Day where we learned that even the holiest of men still have only a small beginning of faith and that, and that even their very best works, their very best works of these most holy men were still polluted with the stains of sin. And daily we fall, daily we fail, and daily we need to rise to our feet and cry out, Oh, Father, forgive me my sins again of this day. Capture this with me. Christ's redemptive work is complete and finished. Nothing needs to be added to that work of Christ on our behalf. However, the application of the atoning work of Christ to the heart and the life of the Christian has been ordained by God to be different. 
the grace of God beginning with rebirth and culminating in glorification in eternity is a process or a sequence called sanctification. Christ sits in heaven at the right hand of his Father. His work of redemption has been completed, but his intercessory mediatorial work continues. And step by step, day by day, Christ intervenes for all of those for whom he all of those whom he has bought with his precious blood on Golgotha. He applies using the work of the work of the operation of the Holy Spirit, he applies that redemptive work to his children. And consequently, until that redemptive work is applied fully, the child of God will stumble. He will fall. He will fail. He will fall into sin. Even the most heinous of sin. Think of David. Murder. Adultery. A precious child of God. Even the most heinous of sin. And daily it will be necessary for the Christian to plead with the Father. Oh Father, forgive me my debts. Through much sorrow even sorry over sin, no, especially sorrow over sin, our Lord sanctifies his own, bringing them along on that road to ultimate glory. Listen now again with me to the prayer of the catechism. Father, because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us poor sinners that we are. Any of the sins that we do or the evil that still constantly clings to us. Marvel with me at the perfection of that humble prayer. Listen to what is being confessed and asked. The child of God cries out, O Father, we acknowledge and confess before thee that we are unworthy sinners. We confess that daily, even though we are thy children, Daily we still break all of thy commandments and we keep none of them. But Father, we know that thou art gracious and merciful. We know that thou wilt forgive our transgression. And we ask that it would please thee to forgive me and all of my brothers and sisters our sins and iniquities. Not only the sins we commit, but also the sin that still clings to us because of our sinful nature we inherited in the, in the garden. Father, forgive our sins. Deliver us from the condemnation we deserve because of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. But the born-again child of God doesn't stop there. Listen again. Because of Christ's blood, Father, we are fully determined as evidence of thy grace in us to forgive our neighbors. Listen to what we are confessing and acknowledging here. The child of God confesses, O Father, by nature I am inclined to hate my neighbor, but thou hast poured thy Holy Spirit into my heart, and thou hast renewed and recreated me. And now rather than that hatred, I find within my own heart love and compassion for my neighbors. And I find 
as consequent of thy spirit in me, I find a heartfelt desire to be patient and forgiving toward their sins and their shortcomings, just as thou hast been patient and forgiving with my shortcomings. Father, that forgiving spirit within my heart, I acknowledge and confess and recognize with gratitude that it is evidence that thou art a forgiving God who has forgiven me. Oh, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. My dear, precious people of God gathered with me here in Bowenville this evening, we need to bring this confession home. I mean, as I remind you each time again, and I did again this evening, this is your confession of faith as it is mine. If you have made a public profession of your faith, then you have personally claimed the statements of faith in this Lord's Day and every Lord's Day to be your own. Well then, we need to bring this confession home and apply it to our own lives. Do you pray this prayer consciously, daily? I don't mean just rote at the dinner table, but from the heart consciously, daily. Do you? Is this petition your daily plea to God? Don't be too quick to answer throughout the entire history of the church right down and up to, to today we are confronted with many different kinds of attitudes towards what has been taught us here today and it would be proper and beneficial for us for just a moment to examine our own posture in relation to forgiveness of sin if we hope to receive temporal and eternal blessedness in forgiveness of sin it is indeed an unfortunate reality that there still exists even within the organized church myriads of self-righteous Pharisees who with jaundiced eyes look down upon their neighbors and who yet believe themselves to stand securely eternally in God's justification. Even within the Christian church we find all kinds of people who are rather proud of their life and their living and, and they believe God will be quite pleased with them just as well, as just as they are quite pleased with themselves. But scripture reminds us that all of our own works are still polluted with the stains of sin and without the finished work of Christ, we still stand condemned even with our hands full of, 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 of all the best of our works and our intentions. He who would place his hope in his own good work builds on shifting sand. Do not deceive yourself. Rather, flee to Christ. Flee to Christ that he may open your eyes and that he may allow you to, to see yourself as you really are and as you were in Adam. And then pray that he would work in you the same spirit as the publican who cried out, Oh Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. But we see also other attitudes. We see also those who are not so much pleased with their own efforts, but tragically, they treat the whole matter with cool indifference. They have not learned the plea of forgiveness of David in Psalm 38. Lord, I am troubled. I am bowed down. I am mourning all the day long because of my sin. No, they are the ones of whom Amos laments, Woe to you who are 
at ease in Zion. Their sin bothers them not at all. People of God, if you are among those who are at ease in Zion, meaning if you consider your sins to be of a minor, minor significance or import, then consider their eternal consequences. You remember what we learned in an earlier Lord's Day as we went through the Catechism. We learned, we were taught, sins (laughs) must be paid either by ourselves or by another. As the Catechism puts it so succinctly in another place, God is terribly displeased with sin and will punish all sin temporarily and eternal. If your sin bothers you very little or not at all, then first of all, go to Golgotha and see once the horrible price that God in Christ paid for sin and then go to him. Stand there at Golgotha for a few moments. Stand there at Golgotha for a moment and listen to the anguished cry of God forsakenness as he gropes in darkness and then try telling him that your sins really aren't that offensive. Ask him and see if he would agree with you. Oh, rather plead with him that he would open your eyes in order that you might recognize the seriousness of your sin and find then also his forgiving grace in the blood of the Lamb. And then finally, to you who are burdened with a load of guilt, why would you be so burdened? Why would you carry that heavy burden which is no longer yours to bear. Go then to your heavenly Father and say, Father, forgive me my sins. Remember then and believe that the atoning blood of Christ was shed as a complete remission to all your sin. Fix your eyes then on the cross where the Lamb of God was slain to take away the sins of the world. Take that promise of God to heart. Claim it as your own. Only there, only at the foot of the cross, can true peace be found. Bring your burdens there and leave them there. He has borne your iniquity on his shoulders. Then yet, to all of those among us who know ourselves to belong to Christ, To all who know themselves to be hidden in that secret place of safety in the bosom of Christ. Go then also to him and praise him that he has not dealt with you as your sins deserved. Praise him for the atoning blood and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Although you are called to strive for holiness and perfection, sanctification, and although daily you find yourself to fall and to, f- and to fail and to fall into sin, although daily it will be required of you to get back on your knees to plead, Oh, Father, forgive me my sins. Rest assured, people of God, that the love of God has been demonstrated in the blood of Jesus Christ. But one final word of caution. See to it as well that you are reconciled to your neighbor. 
Remember Christ's admonition that he or she who refuses to forgive his brother also will not taste of God's forgiving mercy for himself. Remember then also the words to forgive not seventy, not seven times, but seventy times seven. Furthermore, if perhaps, if perhaps no one has sinned against you, if perhaps no one is in need of your forgiveness, have you perhaps offended your brother or sister? Go then to them. Confess your transgression and beg their forgiveness for your sin. Peter as long as we remain on this earth, because of the sin that still cleaves to us, we will not ever be completely free from the pollution of our sin. Satan will continue to sift you in order to have you. However, according to the scriptures, all who have tasted of the heavenly mercies of having been forgiven through the atoning work of Christ and who as consequent are determined to demonstrate that grace in the manner that they forgive one another to those God grants to me to in his name he grants me the liberty to say to you rejoice 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 even in your daily struggles against sin rejoice for that struggle is evidence of the Spirit of God working in your born-again heart. And remember then that he who has begun his work of regeneration and sanctification will also perfect that work in you to all eternity. Amen. Shall we pray? Do not our trespasses record, but freely pardon them, O Lord, as we who by thy grace must live, our debtors' trespasses forgive. Yea, cleanse our hearts from every stain in him who on that cross was slain. Amen.